1: Welcome back to our world-famous Cheeky Jaguar radio broadcast. Live today here on IR Radio, we have a fantastic guest with us today. Dr. Sal joins us on the broadcast. He's a uh, got a uh, just amazing, amazing background, senior science advisor of Men's Health Network, past chair, chair emeritus of the American Public Health Association, former alumni association board member of the Columbia University of School of health of public health he joins us today here on the telephone to kick off our broadcast day how are you sir
0: i'm doing just splendidly well how are you
1: pretty good actually now there is a uh, a lot going on in the uh, in the world around us uh always a good time to have you on the broadcast today and uh first of all let's talk a little bit about uh some of the different things that that you're concerned about out there uh that people need to be speaking out about and, and talking about
0: yes so thank you uh having me on today to talk about yes this. Uh, i'm working uh, with the men's health network which is the largest and oldest advocacy and educational group for men's health we've been around for 25 years and uh what we do is uh, provide educational outreach public advocacy policy legislative support uh, to help boys and men advance their health and what we're what would I'd like to talk about a little bit today is something that's pretty uh, hot in Congress these days and that's pharmaceuticals and then the cost of pharmaceuticals we we at men's health network believe that uh, making pharmaceutical products uh, reasonably priced for the out-of-pocket cost for uh, men and boys and all Americans really uh, is the best way to, Uh, enable them to enhance their health. If you can't afford your medications and the out-of-pocket costs are too high, you don't take them. So we're constantly watching uh, what uh, that landscape looks like. Right now, uh, we see several proposals from the administration as well as floating through Congress and in the private sectors that we think, uh, you know, need to be weighed in on, and they're all looking to do the right thing, which is manage the cost of prescription medicines, but some of the proposals, we think, do it in a way that is also going to hurt the other end of the spectrum, which is access to these medicines, either through access controls or through uh, ratcheting down the, the, the cost of medicines or what gets reimbursed to pharmacy organizations and pharmaceutical industry to the point where their innovation is chilled.
1: Well, talk to us about some of these different programs that are out there.
0: Well, uh, you know, I've been practicing clinical pharmacy for almost uh, 50 years, not quite 50, uh, but I remember a time when prescriptions were paid for out-of-pocket by people, uh, and local pharmacists, uh, you know, managed the pricing pretty well, but still a lot of people were getting their medications uh, because they couldn't afford them. We saw the rise in of insurance companies and health insurance companies. In uh, the early 60s, the uh, early 70s, we saw the evolution and development of entities called pharmacy benefit management companies. And these PBMs, as they're called, became very, very important in the distribution cycle because what they wanted to do, which they did to a certain extent, was negotiate good contracts, buying purchasing contracts with, Uh, concessions on overall price uh, and then they also helped administer the reimbursement for the medication so it was much easier for people to get their medicines and have it paid for by private insurance or Medicare insurance uh, or even Medicaid in some cases and all along the way as these PBM companies began to grow and grow and grow uh, they became more and more powerful, better adept at negotiating prices. And all along the way, the promise to the American public, to the consumers, were that they were going to pass along any savings from these negotiated prices to the consumer. And, and I'm afraid we're just not seeing that uh, happen. Uh, what we see happening is a very complex system that's almost Byzantine and very heavily veiled in what they do and how they do it. We see insurance companies buying up pharmacy benefit management companies and pharmacy benefit management companies actually buying up insurance companies, Uh, and this creates a a system where you can't track where the money's going. But on the other end, we continually see uh, patients having to pay increasing amounts for out-of-pocket costs, even though the negotiated prices seem to be pretty heavily worked on. So Congress is trying to tackle it. Unfortunately, in typical Nancy Pelosi way, uh, you know, it's uh, kind of this approach we have to pass the legislation before we see what's in the legislation. Some of the remedies that are being recommended, Men's Health Network believes are a little draconian and, and will hurt on other things. So we've actually come up with five principles that legislators might want to think about, and people in evaluating legislation might want to think about to help make this uh, process benefit people rather than benefit insurance companies and PBMs.
1: Now, what, what, what are some of, these, uh, some of these things you guys have come up with?
0: Well, good common sense notions. Uh, first of all, whatever system is put in place, it should be simple enough for the American public to understand and to follow the money. Uh, as I said, that a lot of what happened now is mystery, mysterious, veiled in secrecy, uh, overly complicated, and that erodes the trust of everybody, whether it's a voluntary health association like Mental Health Network, or a Mom and Pop, or, uh, you know, retirees, or even members of Congress in trying to figure out what's going on. So whatever is done has to be a lot simpler than what we're doing now. Uh, the other is Go back to the reason that these PBM companies began and what they promised was to Americans back in the late sixties, early seventies, pass all of these cost reductions and negotiated price concessions back to the public. Not and yes, they're entitled to make a reasonable profit just like they say of the pharmaceutical companies, but there has to be transparency is what's negotiated What's passed back to the public versus what they get, and how they how they use that money. United Healthcare, for example, posted a five billion dollar profit just in the last quarter, and a lot of that was driven by their uh, you know their prescription benefit uh, uh, type program. So you know wh- where's all that money going? The third is don't do things that restrict access to care. There need to be lists of preferred medications. We believe that. But some of the things that are also being suggested, such as step therapy, where you've got to try one medicine, and if it fails, you get on to the next medicine in a series of advanced medicines. And after that fails, you get on to the next one. We, we like to call that mental health network fail-first approach, not step therapy. I mean, can you imagine if that was the approach that we took in aircraft where you put a part in, wait till it fails, then put a better part in, and if that fails, put a better my gosh, the, the the toll would be unbelievable, and we just wouldn't have a tolerance for it. So why do we accept these kinds of access restrictions in our health care, which is really a matter of life and death of a lot of folks? The other thing we're concerned about is this continual erosion of the relationship between patients and their providers, whether it's a physician, a nurse practitioner, a physician assistant. uh Corporate entities and governmental entities continue to want to make decisions as to what can be used, how it can be used, how long it can be used. Uh, and again, you know, this, this fail-first, step-to-care therapy approach. We really feel, and, and in other companies uh, who call themselves not-for-profits, uh, like uh, do evaluations, quote-unquote, of the, the, the worst of a technology or a treatment or a medicine. Uh, And that really, and then the post guidelines, and that really takes away the relationship between a patient and a physician, and the ability for a patient to express a desire to have a certain kind of therapy. Uh, That needs to be provided, uh, uh, preserved. And the last, no price fixing by the government, or price setting by the government. We've seen over and over and over again in so many areas of our economy how uh, when government sets prices, it doesn't work, even when they create these utility-like structures. And ask the folks in California how the utility structure is working for them, or anybody who's had their electricity, you know, go crazy and, and when they need it the most, uh, how the utility model works. So what we're seeing are government want to come in and create what they call arbitration boards, where the government would set a price by a bureaucratic process, uh, based on you know criteria that are very difficult to follow, uh, that they now there's even a proposal that we've seen in the last week emerge that they would go in, look at the quote unquote the profit model for any particular pharmaceutical company and decide what a reasonable profit is, how much money they're allowed to make. That that's just not uh, an, a system that encourages innovation. It's not a capitalistic system. It's a socialistic system, and that's one of the fears that we have. So whatever, whatever happens, whatever is used to control costs, we think it should be free market, good old-fashioned, hard negotiation, that's easy to understand, that passes the savings along to people, and doesn't dictate therapeutic positions.
1: We have got a great guest with us today. Dr. Sal joins us here in a broadcast, coast-to-coast, border-to-border. Now, if people want to get more information on what you're up to, uh, do you have any uh, websites or social media you can send us?
0: Boy, these days, if you don't, you don't exist, really. Uh, the Men's Health Network has all of this information posted up on it, and lots of information, educational information on uh, medical conditions that affect boys and men. And that can be found at W. Men's Health Network, one word, men'shealthnetwork.org.org. And lots of good information there.
1: Fantastic. Now, uh, give, give, give us a rundown of some of the other uh, programs that are out there that people need to be aware of.
0: Well, uh, in terms of men's health awareness, uh, one of the things that Men's Health Network is advocating for is better awareness and management of uh, suicide rates in boys and men. I know it's a bit of a difficult subject to approach, but a lot of the uh, information that's being published by the Centers for Disease Control these days uh, comes down to showing a, a dramatic increase in the rate of suicides in boys and men, much greater than women of Seven times greater than women uh, commit suicide, and what we're seeing is a shift from into the individuals at their peak of their productivity, the 15 to 40 year old. Can you imagine a shift in a dramatic increase in suicide rates of 15 year old boys? That's what we're seeing. So, Mental Health Network is working on a number of programs and projects now to help develop community-based awareness, support for boys and men who are at risk. We think a lot of this is also driven by the opiate crisis. If you look at the second-tier data in the opiates, not the top-tier line, uh, but when you look at really what's driving some of the issues with the opiates, it's it's an issue that affects boys and men much higher than it does women. Uh, So we are constantly struggling to help to provide programs and projects that are created for boys and men uh, that will help uh, mitigate the problem of opiate addiction
1: fantastic stuff we're going to take a, a brief timeout and when we come back we are going to cover another topic here with dr. Sal we've got more coming up on the other side back here in a few moments segment and uh, you mentioned uh before we came on you 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 had a, a series of topics we wanted to get into what what what's what's the next topic you want to cover here my friend
0: well, this is a related to uh legislation again you know it's, it's that time of the year when a lot of things get uh, ran through there's a very important piece of legislation called the description drug use user fee act uh which uh has been in place for several decades, and one of the things about this act, what it does is it essentially is a, uh, a user's fee that pharmaceutical companies, the innovative sector of pharmaceutical companies, and even the, the, the generics, the follow-on companies, they pay to the Food and Drug Administration for reviewing applications for approval to market a particular medicine in the U.S. And it is a very, very important act. I remember... Uh, with uh, the virtual age, I guess, uh, I remember a time when FDA was struggling with resources, and they still do, uh, struggling with resources. And given their extremely broad mandate uh, to inspect, to ensure the quality of foods, uh, cosmetics, as well as medications, there really was not enough money being allocated to them to a very important part of their job, which is look through these tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of pages of applications for marketing of a drug to make sure that what Americans get is safe and effective and properly labeled uh, with instructions on how to use it or prescribe it. Uh, way back, I'd say, in the 80s, uh, late 80s, industry, pharmaceutical industry and FDA uh, came to agreement that a user's fee would be appropriate. Every several years, that user-free, users fee, sunsets, and it's coming up for reauthorization in January or uh, February, first quarter of next year. I can't remember exactly the, the time frame, but it's coming up real soon. Uh, Men's Health Network encourages the continued support of the User-Fee Act, the PDUFA Act, to allow FDA to get the absolutely needed resources and then targets those resources. They can't use it for anything. They can't use it for poultry inspections. They they can't use it for, uh, you know, cosmetic inspections. Uh, they have to use it for approval. They can't even use it for advertising regulation. They have to use it for approval of new medications, and we feel that that is a very, very important component for boys and men and their families. So we encourage uh, any folks who are into this uh, policy stuff to think about that legislation as a very important upcoming piece of legislation.
1: Now, uh, if people want to obtain more information on this, uh, how do they do that?
0: Uh, If you go to the uh, Men's Health website, uh, www.menshealthnetwork.org, there will be some additional information about the prescription drug, user fee authorization act uh... coming up uh... and also if you look in uh... on the food and drug administration website uh... those dedicated folks have a, a wonderful website there will be information about that legislation up there as well
1: now what why is this legislation so important state the uh... can 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 you give us more details on this
0: yeah if if fda doesn't have adequate resources and every government agency struggles to get adequate resources they can't do their job uh, no matter how dedicated they are the folks at FDA are very very dedicated to what they're doing They're they're exceptional individuals they work under very difficult circumstances in a very highly technical area uh, and they simply can't do all of the things that we that the government uh, mandate mandates them to do uh, so the Purdue fee targets allocation of monies to bring innovative therapies to, uh, or new medications, or even approvals of expanded uh, manufacturers of older medications. So without that targeted money, uh, we are concerned that FDA will slow down. It used to be that they would approve maybe three or four medicines, six or eight medicines a year. Uh, After the User Fee Act, which allowed them to hire people, scientists, uh, clericals, uh, get statistical resources, uh, and buy very expensive software programs to manage all that. Uh, the approval rates for new therapies has gone much into the double digits and sometimes, you know, approaching 20 per year. And That, that we think is, is a very good thing. The other is it allows them to approach a very important issue, which is the highly technical issue of approval of what we call biosimilar drugs. What we're seeing, uh, some of the greatest advances in treatments now are in not the traditional small chemical molecules of medicines, uh, but in advanced uh, biochem- bio- biopharmaceuticals, which is very complicated stuff, but basically is derived from uh, genes and genomics, uh, and they target genetic approaches to treatment as opposed to Uh, chemical manipulation of the body Uh, they're much more powerful they can achieve much more much better results and they're much safer but the problem is that right now there is no process in place to approve once the drug is once the biopharmaceutical is out there biologic is out there technically it can't be copied and I won't go into the technicalities, but suffice it to say, there is no really good system out there to get best follower products out there. So companies that come out with the first biologic tend to hold that market for forever. Uh, we think that's a little anti competitive. We think it continues to drive the prices and it allow it does not it allows for, you know, those companies to get the profit that they richly deserve, but it doesn't allow after a certain period of time, 15, 20 years, for anybody else to go in there. So the FDA needs resources and funding to look at the the approval process and standards for adequate biosimilar products so that we can advance the access to these uh, important biologic
1: medicines. Well, Doctor, I appreciate you making time for us today. Thanks for coming on the broadcast, and uh, thanks for enlightening our listeners. I appreciate it, my friend.
0: And thank you for having us on, and go to the Men's Health Network.org uh, website and get a lot more information on all of this.
1: Definitely. Thank you, my friend. Appreciate it. There he goes, Dr. Sal. We've got more coming up on the other side. It's the Sunday Radio Broadcast.